station of WCBN Sports, 88.3 FM, Ann Arbor. And now the pavement are loaded for Samantha Finley. And Michigan with a chance to bust this open. With Brown ball, beats it down the left field line. Weatherton scores. Here comes Giampaolo. Giampaolo scores. Merchant goes in a third. It's a two-run double for Samantha Finley. And Michigan now has a 6-2 lead. And Michigan, one out away. Heading back to Oklahoma City. Danny Ritter looking for that final pitch here in 2005 at Alumni Field and what has so far been the greatest season in Michigan softball history. Now the 0-2 pitch, swinging a ground ball to the right side. Haas has it, throws the first, it's time, and the ball game is over. And for the eighth time in the last 11 years, the University of Michigan is going back to Oklahoma City to make their eighth appearance in the Women's College World Series. We're talking home. Oh, start talking. Okay, uh, we're talking and we're I guess about to be potted up here. Getting organized. Got our Charlie do. in case T.O. makes an appearance. <laughs> or if Newt Gingrich shows yeah, up. Yeah, Newt Gingrich. He's always good for a couple of Go ahead of and keep players. talking. Can you? Oh, we're on. Oh, well. That's uh, live radio for you folks. Uh, good evening and welcome to another edition of... Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And waiting for allergy medicine to kick in, I'm Jim Dwyer. And I just got back from Rackham where I saw Juan Cole give a uh, relatively uh, academic sort of talk. Uh, He's part of the uh, Middle East Studies Department here at the University of Michigan and becoming one of the preeminent uh, national uh, critics of uh, the Bush administration's so-called war on terrorism. He gave part uh, a lecture that probably can be found maybe on a blog, his blog, or uh, some sort of uh, Michigan website. I'll see if I can get more information about that next week. Entitled, Are We Winning the Fight Against Al-Qaeda? Reflections Five Years Later. Uh, This is part of the Josh Rosenthal, Rosenthal Fund Lecture Series. I've seen a couple of these over the past several years. They're quite interesting. Josh Rosenthal died in 9-11. He is a former U of M student, and his mother actually testified in the Musawi uh, sentencing phase because she thinks that the uh, government's case against Musawi was basically a pile of doo-doo, and uh, she's probably right. It struck me as a uh, bizarre show trial, and indeed Bin Laden himself had to Denounce the notion that somebody as goofy as Musawi was somehow part of the 9-11 plot. That is very strange indeed. Um, but I think that uh, one interesting observation that Juan Cole did make is that the vast majority of the Muslim world actually has pretty good relations with America. They're not necessarily, the people are not necessarily in agreement with American policy. But as he noted, other than Iran 
Syria, Somalia, and the Sudan, the rest of the Muslim world, um, has decent relations with uh, America. And one of the strange uh, utilizations in recent week of the uh, Bush administration's propaganda war spin regarding the war on terror is the so-called use of Islamo-fascism, uh, because many of the Islamo-fascist uh, Governments, if you want to call them that, are on our side. In other words, the fascists are on our side, and we're supporting them. And uh, as we've seen, uh, both with respect to the Lebanese uh, war uh, recently, uh, and by the way, the uh, uh, let's see, the September 21st edition of uh, the New York Review of Books has uh, several very good articles about the ongoing problems in the Middle East. And I highly recommend that uh, particular edition. Uh, there's uh, good stuff uh, on the Iraq, well, on, on the Lebanon war, the Middle East question in particular, uh, and the broader issues. And it's interesting, in Mas Max Roddenbach's article, I just wanted to read these numbers because they are interesting in connection with uh, the 9-11 uh, commemoration, whatever you want to call it, that we're going through today in terms of the media. He writes, many Lebanese remain puzzled by the strategic thinking behind a um, aerial campaign that killed approximately 1,287 people, injured 4,054, severed three-quarters of the country's roads and bridges, smashed some 50 factories, and left 100,000 people homeless. Uh, but one goal was nearly achieved by the last days of fighting, aside from the general infrastructure damage and occasional effectiveness of hitting probable rocket launching sites, as well as clobbering Hezbollah targets that range from its main offices in the Dahia suburb to uh, party-run villages, orphanages, clinics, schools. The bombing did succeed in displacing nine-tenths of Lebanon's estimated 1.2 million Shias. That's what happened a little over a month ago, uh, between the middle of July and the so-called ceasefire in Lebanon, uh, the United States has a population approximately 75 times Lebanon's. So if you take that 1,287 number and multiply it by 75, you come up with staggering numbers in relationship to the damage that America allowed Israel to perpetrate while it sat idly by under some mistaken assumption that Israel could smash Hezbollah and uh, somehow achieve some temporary victory in the war on terror. Well, and the uh, desire by the Bush administration to rush resupply weapons to kind of grant them an extension of time when the world community had pretty insistently said that it was a matter for uh, the Security Council. And so forth. You, you mentioned uh, the observations by Juan Cole about the Arab world's generally good relations in general with the United States. And I just want to mention that the people of Iran and the state of Iran are not necessarily the same thing. Iran's, an, and that's true for all countries, obviously. Uh, I think most thinking people around the world, and even people, you know, they don't need to be necessarily well informed, but just people of good conscience are aware of the distinctions between the deeds of a power elite in control of a nation-state and average citizens. Uh, certainly average Americans are largely unaware of 
a lot of the things that are done in their name uh, historically, including uh, numerous accounts of American support for fascist dictatorships in the Middle East, South America. Today, of course, also uh, is a, another September 11th, 1973, in which the overthrow of uh, Salvador Allende's elected government in Chile, uh, you know, through United States uh, covert political support uh, behind the fascist military there. So many, many examples of that. But the Iranian nation is an interesting one because demographically it's a very young nation. They lost huge numbers in the uh, Iran-Iraq war, and I think the majority of their population is under 20. Mm -hmm. And so there was the real potential for some positive changes in the relations between those two countries. I mean, we still have frozen assets dating back to the uh, taking of the hostages uh, back during Jimmy Carter's uh, presidency. Um, there's all sorts of internet developments and so forth, and I think that the people of Iran, uh, given the chance, of course, the the mullahs there have, have pretty much clamped down normal uh, outlets and opportunities for political expression. Uh, but just recently, for example, the former premier, uh, Katami, was in Washington and spoke and had some, I thought, fairly interesting things to say. Um, I think the United States really missed a chance to progress in a relationship, a realistic relationship with Iran under Katami's uh, tenure. Because the the guy who's in there now, I think, is a reflection of the Iranian people's nervousness about the Bush agenda. Uh, when we think about Iran's, you know, clearly there's a lot of major questions about the nuclear program. Uh, I'm certainly not giving them carte blanche here. But to look at it from their perspective, which I think is a useful and helpful thing to do, imagine what it is to wake up every morning in Iran and know that, well, in the country next to you, Iraq, is majorly destabilized, certainly in the uh, nascent stages of civil war. Then you've got Afghanistan just over yonder. That's heavily occupied by uh, U.S. Uh, forces, British forces. All around the other side of Iran, you have increasing U.S. bases. They probably feel surrounded because, mm -hmm. in fact, we have surrounded them. And over this year, there has been just open-scale war on Shia Muslims. And uh, that's the majority uh, demographic there as well. So it, it's... It's a country that deserves to be treated with respect and not with just, you know, hateful accusations. Uh, and let's face it, diplomacy and uh, discourse is not the Bush team's forte. I'm not sure what their forte is, besides secrecy, but uh, Iran is an important country, and we risk pushing it into some sort of alliance with Korea and China that would be, you know, horrible for this country. Well, and I don't know what the Bush administration's forte is either other than incompetence, <laughs> but it was rather amazing to see Dick Cheney, of all people, emerge right. from a cave, perhaps. I don't know if he's hanging out with bin Laden over in there. It was Ziristan area, but it's uh, fascinating that uh, he doesn't look particularly tan. <laughs> and... Uh, well, they, 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 just this past week, there's been an, apparently an agreement between Pakistan and uh, Afghanistan regarding the tribal areas, right. uh, in which uh, apparently the Taliban that are clearly resurgent in terms of their activity, this was something that uh, Cole, Juan Cole made uh, uh, an observation in his lecture, 
in terms of the good news versus bad news. Uh, clearly, Afghanistan is uh, becoming a bigger problem. There have been many more confrontations, and there may be a sort of ipso facto uh, deal with uh, in which Pakistan is actually covertly supporting the Taliban once again, again right. to destabilize Afghanistan uh, and the government of Karzai. Um, this is just yet one more fascinating um, element of intrigue regarding the general um, sort of tribal uh, changing alliance nature of the Middle East in general. And, of course, if the United States, uh, this discrepancy between the actions of the United States versus the rhetoric of the United States right. is causing all the problems in the Middle East, as Cole noted in his lecture, the approval ratings in all of these countries have skyrocketed downward, uh, particularly after the invasion of Iraq. And that even, uh, as he noted in Iran, which was not particularly a subject of his uh, lecture, um, 20, you know, the government is really only supported by about 20% of the right. people. Uh, so there is certainly fertile ground in Iran for... Uh, peaceful change, and maybe the United States should butt out. Uh, if Iran is such a threat, it remains puzzling why uh, the policies that the Bush administration has pursued since 9-11, uh, one of those policies, by the way, has not included the apprehension of either uh, Osama bin Laden or Zawari, but uh, the policy uh, thrusts of the American military in the region have benefited Iran. Um, this is just... <laughs> The way it and works. Not just Iran, but the worst elements yeah. from our perspective. The the most conservative, the most fundamentalist, the yeah, all the wrong elements. And we've seen in this uh, recent Lebanon crisis, um, as Roddenbeck notes in his article, uh, that the uh, Hezbollah uh, guerrilla movement, whatever you want to call them, uh, has seen their strength enhanced in terms of public opinion within Lebanon because of the rather indiscriminate, um, unstrategic bombing that Israel was engaged in. And, uh, of course, it was American weaponry um, that was behind the, those atrocities. And, of course, during the Lebanese uh, crisis, the United States quietly sold Saudi Arabia an additional $4 billion in arms sales. Unbelievable. Well, yeah, you mentioned the whereabouts of bin Laden, and, of course, we've... Uh theorized on this program before that he's probably in Pakistan, yeah. uh, our ally ostensibly. And uh, there are many unanswered questions about uh, the Pakistani intelligence agency, the ISI's, uh, some weird, uh, bizarre coincidences involving the whole 9-11 thing, which I don't really want to get into here. But I do want to quickly mention that uh, while all the uh, world's attention is focused on this, well, not all the world, but certainly here in America, uh, the uh, fifth anniversary of 9-11 and, of course, the uh, continuing tensions throughout the Middle East. Uh, what's going on in Gaza right now is getting pretty horrific and ugly. Um, let's see. Just since June 25th, 260 people have been killed, 1,200 wounded, uh, numerous amputations, uh, all sorts of... Uh, impossibilities here for uh, food going in and out, uh, medical supplies going in and out. It's essentially an open-air prison. And the, uh, let's see if I can find the quote here. 
Oh, here we go. Uh, Dr. Abu Ramadan says the Israelis have destroyed 70% of the orange groves in order to create security zones. Carnations and strawberries, two of Gaza's main exports. This is a very densely populated region. Uh, very few resources. Agriculture is one of their, their only uh, real profitable opportunities for income. Uh, carnations and strawberries uh, thrown away or left to rot. An Israeli airstrike recently destroyed the electric power station. 55% of Gaza's power is lost. Electrical supply is now becoming almost as intermittent as Baghdad. Um, it's just more of the same, but it's intensified. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is kind of quietly done because, of course, uh, there's really not that much attention on Gaza. It's just a refugee camp, after all, and a uh, poverty-stricken uh, area. But it's a, it's a human nightmare. And, you know, how Israel thinks that this will ultimately lead to enhanced security for themselves, it's fully reoccupied, so... It's just uh, ugliness kind of under the radar. By the way, in the uh, Lebanese conflict, I did want to note that uh, Israel lost 116 soldiers in that dispute, and certainly there there were some civilian casualties from the rather inaccurate (laughs) Katusha rockets that were being uh, fired here and there, uh, and very heavily at times, but uh, these are not... uh, Smart bombs by any stretch of the imagination. They're sort of random right. pot shots. Um, pot shots. Hmm. Well, last night I did attend the uh, documentary down at the uh, full disclosure movie series that's being uh, presented on Sunday nights at the Blind Pig. Very interesting. I don't necessarily subscribe to some of the interesting theories in this documentary, but I just wanted to mention um, a couple of things. The the thing was actually called Loose Change, um, a documentary by Dylan Avery. And it's my understanding, by the way, that he was on Amy Goodman's radio show this morning uh, that can probably be found online uh, or on a blogcast or whatever. And in that uh, piece on today's show, which I didn't hear. I was just too exhausted from all of my uh, work this weekend due to a football weekend. But um, unanswered questions are really, I think, the big issue uh, regarding some of the theories regarding a cover-up. I don't necessarily subscribe to the, um, the American government did this theory, but I think that there are many unanswered questions about the put options, about whether or not the World Trade Center buildings really were collapsed from the jet fuel burning or whether this really was controlled a controlled implosion that may have been done for safety reasons. It may have actually been something that was uh, available to the owner of the um, building itself. It is interesting, by the way, that he seems to have taken out a rather large insurance policy on the World Trade Center complex on the 24th of September of 2001, signing a 99-year lease. And of course, Wait he a had, minute, the 24th of September 2001. No, 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 the 24th of July. Excuse me. Oh, okay, um, I misspoke there. Um, and that uh, he did seek uh, something like he he sought separate damages for each building. Mm-hmm. 
he was ultimately awarded something like two and a two point one billion dollars in insurance losses. Um, this movie did subscribe to the put options uh, debate about both trading regarding United Airline, United Airlines, Boeing, um, and also uh, American Airlines that were very strange, as well as the suspicious issue of the gold. It also turns out that one of Bush's brothers, a Marvin Bush that I know very little about, uh, apparently was on the board of directors of the corporation that was engaged in the security of the World Trade Center building. I think we do need to get some answers about how World Trade Center building number seven came down uh, in that attack. And I've noticed that the media coverage today has mentioned nothing of that uh, building's well, you, demise. Yeah, in fact, the, the fact that that building fell down hours after the attack is is what's most interesting about it. It wasn't hit directly. Yeah. There was no jet fuel whatsoever involved in the... Uh, it just fell, collapsed, imploded. So that is a, a serious question mark. Yeah, and I, I think that the fact that the Port Authority... Uh, that incidentally was controlled by Rudy Giuliani to some level. And, of course, he's been portrayed in the mainstream media as this big hero, um, you know, a tough guy, a, a man that rallied uh, our morale in, in a time of need. And certainly he was far more effective than um, W, who uh, seems to have found himself in the situation of reading uh, Our Pet Goat, uh, the, the short story to those uh, elementary school children in Florida for seven more minutes after informed of the World Trade Center bombing uh, that, that had been hit by a plane. So there are unanswered questions. Um, on the issue, by the way, of the steel, um, and I did some calculations, and I wish documentaries didn't do this, but in, in the process of taking notes, according to this documentary, and I don't know the facts on this, but I'm going to see if I can investigate further, Jet fuel burns at 1,100 degrees centigrade only if there is a sort of continuing fuel source providing uh, the burning. And in theory, when the planes hit the buildings, the fuel spilled down due to gravity. It wasn't just sitting there in some big puddle, um, some toxic pool. It, it had to go somewhere, so it was sort of steadily flowing down. Well, a lot of it misted right out, too, yeah. on the other side, and those were the huge fireballs. Yeah. It was the... Uh, and then according to um, the documentary uh, author, steel, this, this reinforced steel, melts at 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, he should have put that into centigrade, but I did the calculations, and it's roughly 2,000 degrees. Therefore, if this science is correct, uh, and I think there's legitimate debate about it, it is impossible for the fuel, the jet fuel, to have melted the steel that quickly. Well, it's also impossible for the buildings to have fallen as they did because the one corner was more heavily impacted. And if the theory that the fuel and the heat uh, from the burning fuel was compromising the steel, you would expect a, a buckling and yeah. a sort of a teetering effect, which plainly did not occur. And, of course, one of the... Initial reports about why the buildings may have come down was the fact that there was diesel fuel stored 
in the basement areas of these twin towers. That, I think, is beyond dispute, that there was diesel fuel down there. That could have played a role. And certainly, incompetent uh, contracting could have been involved, but I remain skeptical. These, at the time, were the largest buildings in the world, and they remained the largest buildings until the Sears Tower was constructed. There are countless problems with the Pentagon attack that have not been answered uh, at all by either the 9-11 Commission report or any person in any uh, uh, role of authority in the American government. Why there have only been five frames released to the public about this so-called jet that hit the Pentagon remains a mystery. Why um, the black box should have proven to be essentially empty and worthless because the, the black boxes were never even found from the Trade Center planes. The official story on the, the plane that hit the Pentagon was that it vaporized. Yeah. And the black box was found, but according to no less a source than Rumsfeld, who spoke for the experts who had examined it, uh, it, it had little of, of use or substance on it. Kind of a bizarre uh, claim. Yeah, and the the attack on the Pentagon itself, interestingly, in the, all of the analysis of what happened on 9/11, is never really discussed. It sort of gets lost in the focus on the twin towers and, of course, the alleged heroism of Flight 93, the Pennsylvania uh, right. tragedy. Now, one other point uh, raised in the uh, documentary that is another thing that I'm going to investigate: cell phones. Apparently, you just can't use cell phones on above 8,000 feet. A cell phone is useless. It, yeah. it, it's, it's unreliable, and you can't maintain the connection. Now, anything lower than that, of course, is possible. Uh, and this is where the official story has actually changed a little bit. The right. references to cell phone calls have kind of been downplayed now. Yeah. So the cell phones are of exceeding interest to me. Because they've never produced a single cell phone from the, um, the the plane that hit the Pentagon. Yet that plane was supposedly in the air for quite some time. The final question and the, one of the more disturbing issues for me that remains unanswered by President Bush, Mr. Tough Guy, Mr. National Guard, Mr. Protector, the decider, the uh, National Guard Air Force whiz. Uh, that apparently didn't take his physical and apparently got credit for serving in the National Guard while he worked on a senatorial campaign at the behest of his father, is uh, how on earth can a country that spends $300 billion a year have a plane hit the Pentagon? Uh, where was our air defense? Why did George Bush request $100 billion in additional defense spending just days before 9-11? These are all unanswered questions. Of course, the mainstream media doesn't ask any of these, um, and it's up to independent um, researchers and uh, historians to raise these issues and demand answers. But the answers aren't being provided. So I w would encourage people to attend this film series down at uh, The Blind Pig uh, for the next couple of Sundays. Next week's show, by the way, is uh, once again, unfortunately, kind of late, 11.45. But they're going to talk next week specifically about the project for the new American century. This, of course, is this cabal of neoconservatives that uh, were pressuring 
a war with Iraq dating back to the early 90s. They formally requested the overthrow of Saddam Hussein uh, just days after the Monica Lewinsky scandal broke. And, of course, in 1998, the Congress, the Republican-controlled Congress, passed an Iraqi Liberation Act uh, that Clinton signed. So uh, the uh, well, the other bizarre chronology yeah. for of the war with Iraq is is in this group. Uh, people like Khalizad, Richard Pearl, Dick Cheney, Donald Rumsfeld, Elliot Abrams from Iran Contra fame, Richard Armitage. Uh, these people, Doug Fife, Fife, Bill Crystal. Uh, it's an amazing array of uh, dodos. So we'll give them all a brain damage award. And a double for Dick Cheney, who actually, I'll read the quote here, um, they, the insurgents, I guess, can't beat us in a stand-up fight. They never have. He ought to know. He's been in a few stand-up fights. Not. Uh, but they're absolutely convinced they can break our will, that the American people don't have the stomach for the fight, and that we have to stay the course, naturally, and, uh, you know, throw good money after bad. Um, the... One point that I want to mention, we've just got a couple of minutes left here on the program today, and uh, we spoke just before we came on the air here this afternoon about the distinction between conspiracy theories and unanswered questions. Yeah. And, of course, there are a wide range of conspiracy theories. I certainly don't subscribe to the idea that you know the forces within the Bush administration itself orchestrated these events. But you have to raise your eyebrows at the vast number of unanswered questions and the bizarre coincidences. Now, random coincidence is a normal part of everyday life, but there's just too many of them uh, to, to yeah. be swallowed easily. And when you think about the Project for the New American Century's actual language saying that what America needs is a new Pearl Harbor to force the hand of fate and to you know have a war in the Middle East... Lo and behold, 9-11 becomes a very convenient, uh, almost Reichstag fire-like political opportunity. Indeed. And when uh, did bin Laden leave the CIA? <laughs> yeah, that's another question. But I just want to point out that uh, United Airlines Flight 175 flew uh, for a good 15, 20 minutes uh, within sight of Griffiths Air Force uh, Base in uh, New York. This is the most sophisticated array of radar and uh, yet, there was a blank. Yes. So. The screens went blank. Well, uh, our time has unfortunately gone blank. We'd like to uh, thank uh, a variety of engineers for pitching in this evening. Uh, do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling is coming up next right here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, and we'll certainly talk more about this next week, uh, this uh, pathos, this bathos of of uh, crocodile tears from Cheney and Rumsfeld on 9-11 is, is uh, nauseating. <laughs> Good night.